This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, I'd like to, to, to go to the I'd say to your face, and I'll say it to you now. You're in Downs, Wankfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you man? Jonathan Liu describes it as a large hadron collider of a head, a head for which hair is really just a sort of disguise protecting the general public from the full, terrifying scale of the granite cranium. Barney Rone says when he heads the ball like he did for the goal against Sweden, there should be a suitable audio effect superimposed, the sound of a large Victorian wardrobe falling over, or a mortar gun pounding the cliffs at Iwo Jima. Jamie Vardy calls him simply Slabhead. I speak, of course, <laughs> of the unlikely star of England's unlikely march to the World Cup semi-finals, Harry Maguire, or more specifically, Murph, yeah. Harry slab Maguire's head. giant concrete mm. slab of a head. Jamie Vardy really got to the point. I mean, great writers, Barney Rona and Jonathan Liu. We have Jonathan on the show today. But yeah, sometimes you need Jamie Vardy's... Get back to uni, uh, <laughs> uh, famed British sports writers. Uh, hello, Jamie Vardy's nailed it in one there. To Monday's second Captain's World Cup podcast. You must be thrilled, Kieran, as the Republic of Ireland's foremost England fan. Yeah, I'm pretty happy, yep. yep. Yeah, I was... Uh, thrilled with your boys? Well, I mean, let's be honest here. Saturday at the World Cup... So Sweden and Russia bow out. And that can't be a bad thing, because they're not very good. <laughs> no, Sweden weren't offering much. Sweden were bloody terrible. Russia was more of a complex, how are we supposed to feel about Russia maybe winning this thing? Sweden, I just had no thoughts one way or the other about Sweden. Yeah, like, come on. They weren't, they weren't stirring my emotions. They're a slightly better, uh, better version of Ireland than Ireland, mm. you know. So, I mean, I, let's, let's, let's be frank here. I mean, when it comes to the World Cup semifinals, you don't want teams like Sweden there. Come on. No disrespect to Sweden? No, I'm, I'm pretty happy with any <laughs> level of disrespect that the Swedes might be feeling right now, to be honest, Owen. Uh, no, so I was happy for England. I mean, listen, this is an adventure for all of us. Maybe I'll take one look at Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic and say, yeah, maybe the World Cup, might, World Cup final might be better with those guys in it. I, you know, I'm an open book on this one. Right, you're quite fluid in this one. You're sort of flipping As it stands, As yeah. it stands, England have my support for this uh, 
for this World Cup. Look, we've played enough clips over the years of Chris Waddle having breakdowns at England's early exits. They're all just headphones. It's only fair to give him his moment when they finally get to a semi-final. Chris, how does it feel to watch another England squad reach that that stage? Uh, Kelly, it's just unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't believe our witnesses. It's, um, it's quite uh, emotional, actually. Chris Waddle there on Radio 5 Live. We haven't got leaders. Funky enough backing track. They're all pumped yeah, by It's yeah. quite something. I mean, it was... Uh, is that Glenn Hoddle on guitar? They're not getting the band back. <laughs> Are they getting the band back together? Nice. I totally forgotten about that. Yeah. I, 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 I actually nearly called him Crystal Swing there, but of course, no, it's Diamond Lights. Yeah, Who so was Ross Kemp's man of the match show? That's a big question. Pickford! You beauty! You beauty! All right, cool. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any tactical advice for the lads, Ross? Yes! Now we hold. We do not give in. We do not allow them to score. <laughs> oh, God. It's what happens with all the internet, isn't it? He's self-aware. He's now. self-aware. Uh, He's very self-aware. Don't, like, why do they ruin it? You know? It's just... Well, because we keep playing it. Podcasts like us keep finding it funny no. until... That could be the last Ross Kemp clip. Or will it, Murph? That is everything! Everything! everything. See, that's from the heart. You know, you know that yeah. that's coming from a... Admittedly quite weird But honest place The aforementioned Jonathan Liu Is going to be on the pod Later on with Rory Smith Who watched Croatia Get past Russia Just about Now whether you sign up To the World Service This week depends On a much deeper question Are you ready For a full week Of coverage Of the England football team Winning the World Cup <laughs> That's a possibility We're all faced with guys If you do want them to do it Well you need to be On the World Service It's quite simple If you got so riled up By those idiots Smashing up the Ikea um, that we've all seen a video of. You, you, maybe you wish nothing but ill will on Gareth Sackett's men. Okay, things could still go tits up for them though. So even then you should probably be listening because it's going to be, something's going to happen one way or the, way other. Or the other. Yeah. yeah. Join up on secondcaptains.com for a fiver a month. You can sign up just at the end of the month if it suits you. Let's now go over to Russia. There's a voice. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, mate. That's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. Things are annoying to us. Uh, I got locked in the toilet. Well, what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway? What a boy you are. I think Diamond Lights was the name of the song, by the way, Murph, not the name of the band. Was it, was it Hoddle actually, and Waddle. Is it just Hoddle and Waddle, is that it? Look, you know we're, gonna, we're probably going to play out the show with it. I can see the way Simon's mind is wearing at the moment. Let's see where Ken the is. The hamster on that particular wheel is working overtime, bud. Is St. Petersburg, Ken? I'm in St. Petersburg, Alan. Ooh, France-Belgium France, tomorrow. Yes, France-Belgium. Love it. A re- replay of the 1986 third place match, of course. <laughs> Hopefully a bit more intensity to this one. I, I don't remember that third I place presume, playoff, but they'd never yeah. have a huge event going on. Got to start with England, though. Let's get into your report from Russia. So the question to you, Ken, is you okay? Am I okay? Why wouldn't I be okay? Well, you okay, hon? You very much planted your tricolour into the middle of the English football scene over the last... This analogy makes no sense. You've, you've said it pretty clearly, Ken, that you uh, you know, you know, think it's healthier for people outside of England to want England to lose, and yet they won. And not only won, but they won triumphantly and rather easily in the end. Well, no, I'm, no I'm, I mean, I'm talking about... Uh, I'm not talking about journalists like me. I'm talking about plebs. Um, uh, you know, the uh, your, your, your um, ordinary Joe in the street. Oh. Your ordinary Sean. Right. Uh, and what he, uh, he or she... 
Ple- sure, ple- plebs, eh? <laughs> Sean Aaron well, Trod. Yeah, you know, uh, as a as a professional, mm. um, uh, <laughs> I am above emotional involvement. I get you. Yeah. In this, I'm just talking about you know the likes of Kieran Murphy sitting there uh, with a six pack, trying to figure out. I am in great shape, thank you, Ken. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out who to who to cheer for. Whereas I, I'm interested only in. What's actually happening out there? I'm trying to under, trying to understand what happens. It I care not one jot uh, if it's England or Belgium or France or Croatia playing the good stuff. Oh, I'm just here looking for that good stuff. Looking for looking to see which of these four teams has got the right stuff. And uh, I, you know, the implication that you know England winning the World Cup would be looked upon by me as some kind of apocalyptic or, or portent of antichrist is is one that I frankly resent. So Well, uh, it's just no, that I'm, I'm looking at a tweet here from Miguel Delaney on the night when England have qualified for the World Cup semi-final. Some embittered members of the group have put on the wind that shakes the barley. There seems to be a, <laughs> a photograph of Ken Early there in the room. <laughs> the wind uh, with, with, shakes a, with, the with, barley a, with a glass of winding down with a glass of nice red there. Can I see somebody else? Well, I, I don't. I didn't understand the suggestion that I that I put. I was the person who put it on. Well, you were the only uh, person in the photograph, so I think it's a fair <laughs> assumption to make. Um, you, <laughs> <laughs> you journalists need to talk to each other about what goes up on Twitter from behind the scenes here. Ah, okay? uh, it's un- it's unbelievable what's going on. People are taking photographs surreptitiously. They're putting up stuff. I've no idea if I'm being photographed, recorded, uh, all kinds of things uh, are just just being recorded. It's, it's like literally the surveillance society that we now live in, except it's like just all the people surrounding us who are putting us under surveillance and, and putting it up onto uh, social media. I'm, I, uh, I don't like it, Owen, uh, but uh, I suppose I'm once again in old man yells at cloud territory. <laughs> uh, which I find myself occupying more and more frequently um, these days. But no, you know, again, again, Owen, this suggestion does get on my nerves a little bit. I, I uh, as a professional, I'm able to view this with detachment and ob- objectivity. I'm delighted for, for England that they're doing so well and that they're making their people happy, that they've given everyone something to celebrate. I'm delighted. Uh, uh, I mean, not not overly delighted either. It's not as though I'm ecstatic. It's not as though I'm I'm carried away on a on a tidal wave of emotion. Um, but you know, I am quietly made up for the English uh, that for once a tournament is hasn't plunged them into some kind of a hell world, and um, and you know they continue to dream as we head into its final days. What sort of reaction have you got from? England supporters who read your Irish Times columns again. I ask you that because you wrote a very good one at the weekend, talked about the difficulty of being a foreign journalist covering England when you're not giving them unqualified praise. You said that Irish fans owe it to them to keep hating until the end. I'd be interested to hear what sort of a reaction that garnered. Uh, generally, generally quite positive. Actually, oh. didn't oh, didn't really good. have didn't really have too much. I mean, there was a few sort of oh, I'd say you're fun at parties, <laughs> um, a few of that type of thing. Um, and then there was a couple of people who were who were sort of a, even less fun than me, earnestly complaining about. Well, you know, maybe what people don't understand is that uh, in Britain we don't have any in, uh, specifically English institutions. 
the Scots and the Welsh have theirs, but we don't have any English institutions. It's all British institutions, apart from the England football team and other teams. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe the reason for that is that everybody has always just viewed the British institutions you're talking about as the English institutions. <laughs> I mean, it could be that people both within and outside the UK have looked at that country, you know, the, the United Kingdom uh, of, of um, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland or, you know, whatever. Is it Great Britain and Northern Ireland? And, and viewed it not necessarily as a partnership of equals. Um, still less one in which... Uh, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland are uh, in the driver's seat and poor England is bound and gagged, uh, you know, in the boot, uh, unable to express, <laughs> unable to express its essential Englishness. It could actually be that Britain, it's a, I mean, if you look at how, how Britain is referred to around the world, I mean, it's called England all the time. I mean, it's just interchangeably, in, well, not interchangeably, I'd say it's called England more than, more than Britain. In Germany, they talk about England. In France, they talk about England. In America, they've talked about England always. Um, this notion that oh, we we don't have any avenue to express our um, our uh, our Englishness is just well, you know. Oh, what an absolute yeah. load of nonsense that is! <laughs> yeah, so so that that would be my answer. I mean, I don't know. There wasn't wasn't really too much uh, wasn't really too much um, too much negative uh, comment at all, actually. But you know, and why why would it be? I don't think I was being unfair to the. Uh, well, though, just judging by some of the quotes that you were printing within the piece, I thought that maybe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if that guy. I'm not sure if that guy would have read this one. No, maybe he, he maybe he muted me or something. Hopefully, so. Um, what did you make of them on the pitch? What did you make? What did you make of England's performance? I thought they were very good. Yeah. Well, I thought I, I, once again, I, I'm 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 again in this position of of looking at their opponents and thinking that oh, wasn't great, was it? That wasn't a great performance. Um, Sweden were worse than Colombia. Uh, I mean, they really offered nothing. Um, they looked slow. They didn't. You know, they they just weren't really any threat. I mean, Marcus Berg. You know, whatever you say about Zlatan, I saw Zlatan was like, oh, everyone in Sweden, all the Swedish players deserve a golden ball. Was the subtext of that? I've actually got enough myself to give them all a golden ball from my personal collection. The the golden ball for best Swedish player. I think he's won it eleven times, and I have to say. I don't care if Zlatan has only got one knee now and is playing for Los Angeles. He's still got to be better than Marcus Berg. And whatever about this whole uh, solidarity and team uh, spirit uh, that Sweden supposedly had, I didn't really notice them not having that at all when Zlatan was, was playing for them. And I do feel as though, you know, whatever kind of state of decrepitude he's now in, maybe he actually would have been a useful player to have in your squad. When you see, when you see sort of Marcus Berg's efforts to, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, why am I talking, uh, why am I talking to Red Sweden? It was obviously England's day. Um, another good set piece goal. Um, good movement by all the, all the lads to create the space for uh, Sledgehammer head, Harry Maguire, <laughs> to, uh, to hammer that goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, great header. Good communication. Good communication mm-hmm. as well. Before we get to Dali Ali, uh, did you see the clips afterwards? That there were some close-ups of Harry Kane whispering something into Harry Maguire's ear along the lines of follow me or something. Essentially, I'm going to be the decoy here and I'm going to open it up for you. And it was interesting to note that the f- corner after that, Harry Maguire was receiving the old, uh, you know, 
wrestling around the shoulders treatment from defenders, but nobody was marking them properly for that first corner. They're all worried about Kane. Yeah, no, they're very they're clever. These these boys, they know what they're they know what they're about. And then Dali Ali scored a goal that he always scores for Tottenham. Yeah, um, I don't know how many times I've seen him score that goal. I remember he scored it twice in one match against Chelsea. Um, it's usually Christian Eriksen with the with the cross, but he's he, he just he's very good at sort of peeling off, waiting at the far post, and he is actually very big Deli Ali. I mean he's kind of skinny so you don't really notice but he's like you know he's he's more likely than not to win a header at the far post um, I thought again the goalkeeper he reminded me a little bit of of late period Alex Ferguson goal celebration you know when when he swaddled in that big bulky overcoat <laughs> and zip up top and he can't actually raise his arms above head height um, the Swedish goalkeeper did remind me a little bit of that but uh, when the ball comes at you like that from that sort of um, close range, uh, it's it's always going to be difficult to save. Um, Pickford probably would have saved it. Obviously, the way that he's uh, the way that he's playing and sort of dominating his area, he would have saved it and uh, then roared at all his defenders who don't seem to really listen to him. Have you noticed how angry he gets? He's one of these keepers who goes absolutely. Oh, yeah. he, he injured his thumb, by the way. I saw this in a piece yesterday. He arrived into the mix zone or certainly we arrived out of the mix zone with bandaging around his hand and he said oh yeah I punched myself in the knee and injured myself pretty stupid I'll try to get a handle on that I was sort of thinking geez, you've got to work up semi-final in a few days a sore thumb doesn't sound and ideal about, but listen he's making, what about, making the saves whatever about having had the injury I definitely wouldn't be telling the English press corps that I did it <laughs> punching myself in the knee out of frustration a sore thumb does not sound like the kind of injury that's going to keep Jordan Pickford from playing in the world no, it'll take more than that it'll take more than that um, but you, you can see them them doing that sort of thing that that uh, that uh, alpha male defensive uh, uh, celebrations, you know the the, the Chiellini, the, the Buffon, Buffon Chiellini type stuff. thing, yeah, yeah. Henderson, uh, Henderson as well. Uh, I think in that same move where, where Pickford made the save was uh, was herring around, throwing himself into challenges, and then when they finally cleared it, um, giving it giving it the primal scream. So uh, they're drawing energy from every source. I mean, they're really. There is a sort of a sense of, about them now of, you know, they. I think they, they think they're going to do this, you know? Um, when was the last time an English team actually thought that? Of course, thinking you're going to do it doesn't mean anything. Uh, it may not necessarily go the way that you think it's going to, but they're playing with a lot of um, confidence and uh, playing some decent stuff. Jordan Henderson was, you talked about getting their motivations from different places. He was asked that specific question before the game and, BBC, um, about, where do you get your motivation when you're out there? And he said, from my teammates. He said, that's that's who I do it for. He said, I know some people say they're families, and that's maybe the stock answer, friends and family and stuff, but all I'm thinking about are my teammates. And you know, he was he was really kind of driving that point home, which I thought was interesting. Yes, it's the, Some of the players, after the match, they're all a little bit, nobody seemed to say it and too interesting. They were kind of keeping it all in-house and all the rest of it and staying remarkably calm actually but I, I thought that was a nice one from Jordan Henderson who was very good again he's been it was you know one of the weaknesses of this England team was supposed to be that they don't, they don't have a creative fulcrum in midfield I'm not trying to say Jordan Henderson is Luca Modric or anything but he's keeping it ticking over nicely once again I don't think Jordan Henderson is, is a super creative player at all uh, I mean he's I think he was better than the players he was up against in the, in the Sweden match and, and also in the Colombia match um, I don't think that's going to be the case against Croatia, whose best players are in his zone of the field. Um, uh, but you know, players he's 
I mean, he, he was playing against Luka Modric not so long ago. He did in the Champions League final. He did get a bit of a run around that day. Um, Luka Modric, how can he possibly keep up this level of performance? Uh, just the intensity of the game against Russia was, was obviously totally different from England against Sweden. I do wonder if that's going to count against Croatia a little bit in this um, in this semi-final. I suppose they've got you know Saturday to Wednesday to recover is a decent. You know they've they've got like a few, you know three full days in between, um, so hopefully um, everyone will will be more or less back to uh, back to their best. But um, I mean Henderson to me, I think is pretty good in in certain kinds of teams. I'm a little bit surprised. I don't think this is I don't think the setup with the England team actually suits him all that well. Um, I think that he's probably a bit better uh, backing up a team on, that that plays on the front foot. Which I don't think England really do that much. I mean, England are a bit more uh, a bit more balanced. I mean, the, the performance I'm thinking about from Henderson—that's probably the best, I, uh, the best, or one of the best performances certainly that I can remember him giving was that game against Roma at Anfield, when he um, he really was 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 excellent in keeping Roma pinned back in their own half in these periods when Liverpool were scoring a lot of goals. Henderson just seemed to be first to every ball that sort of came back up the field and like, was like a wall, you know, just, just uh, pinning it back and, and knocking it back into the sort of danger areas. I thought he was good at that, but that's kind of in a way reacting to stuff that's happening in front of him, where, where I think he struggles a bit compared to somebody like Modric or Rakitic is in making things happen, making things happen with the ball at his feet. I don't really think that's what he does. I think you usually know where the pass is going to go with Henderson. You know, you can kind of see him I'm going to give the ball to Trippier now, and you you know that's what's going to happen from a good a good bit ahead. He's he's not, and he and he also unlike for instance Modric, Modric is a player who is very comfortable in possession in the sense that if you come and try and get the ball off him, he doesn't really mind about that. Like he's he's fairly confident that he can shield it from you, spin around you, or lay it off just before you get to him. Whereas Henderson doesn't want to make a mistake. You know, he doesn't want to be robbed of the ball. I don't think he—he he doesn't have anything like Modric's ability to just jink past players. So he wants to get rid of it before there's a chance that he might lose it. Which again, I think makes him a little bit more predictable. It makes it more difficult for him if he has a little bit of space in midfield to sort of make something unexpected happen. He makes expected things happen, and he's quite consistent at it. And he runs really—he uh, runs uh, a lot, and he gives a lot to the team, and he's got a good attitude and all those things. So yeah, he's a good good player good sort of uh, having a good World Cup but um, a bigger test for him now on Wednesday I think oh, I look forward to them winning the semi-final and final can and you finally giving them full unqualified praise once they win that all mm-hmm. all Premier League final against Belgium Some, somebody said today that there could be 20 players from the Premier League playing in that match if it ends up being England against Belgium in the World Cup finals <laughs> a little bit bizarre your game was France-Uruguay at the weekend I I think didn't you describe Deschamps as a that'll do manager on the show uh, a week or two ago? Was that a mm. that'll that'll do performance by France, or was it a little bit better than that? Uh, I mean, it was a decent performance. I mean, you can't you can't sort of dismiss Uruguay, but like the thing that I the, the problem with the game really was that Uruguay were unlucky as well as you know they they obviously have a much a much smaller squad, a much sort of shallower pool of talent than France. Um, they don't have a bench, you know, along the lines of France. And then when you add bad luck as well into that, that is, they lost Cavani to injury. You know, they lost then Bentancur was was booked 
in the for the free kick that was going that actually France scored from that France scored from, which I think was kind of a demoralising moment for them because they knew that he would be out for the semi final and they were like, oh no, our, we don't have like our players are just shrinking away to nothing. When you add it in those kind of strokes of bad luck to all the disadvantages that they sort of come with, it it turned out not really to be a contest, which has to do with the fact that France are just a very imposing, very difficult team to get anything out of. I mean, you know, Kante is probably the best defensive midfielder in the in the world, uh, making it really hard for you to do anything through midfield. Very good uh, at the back in the air. Um, quick players all over the field, strong players all over the field. And then Mbappe, who was kind of... You could see that Uruguay, Uruguay obviously, very structured, very... Um, very sort of solid defensive unit. And then you saw how Mbappe with the ball at his feet could just completely scatter, could just scatter them um, by beating a man and sort of, oh my God, what are we going to do? So causing chaos. So their whole plan was let's not let Mbappe have the ball. And it was a real, you could see that they were just trying to guard against France playing the ball at that side. Um, But ultimately, kind of such a big defensive effort they didn't really have anything left going forward I mean the best spell of the game is probably the first 10 minutes but after that there was really nothing and then when the second goal went in which is just you know a Carius a Carius type goal by Muslera poor Carius uh, well I mean you saw Carius's video right oh yeah he doesn't help himself well, not everyone's going to have seen this video. Maybe, maybe I know we're digressing here, but maybe we need to inform the world or the portion of the world who hasn't seen it about this Larry's Carries video from somewhere in America. Well, he's in he's in like the Hollywood Hills or somewhere, or, or he's on he's on sort of holidays, and but he's also training and enjoying a kind of nice Instagram lifestyle. But there was just something. It it reminded me of like I don't know if you remember Richard Claderman. He was this. Um, he was this pianist of European origin, mm-hmm. who would uh, who would appear in like ads. Richard Claderman plays the classics, and he was kind of like a he would always be there in a sort of polo shirt, and he had this like nice blonde hair, and um, playing this sort of Muzaki stuff on this white grand piano. And I kind of thought, wow, Carius is is the bearer of the Claderman flame. Uh, into this, into into this twenty first century. I mean, it was just kind of like, who's the who? Whose job is it to follow Carius around and record him doing all this stuff, and then edit it up into this clip, which shows him, you know, doing press ups, putting on shades, kind of, you know, his hair looking nice, running up hills, looking pretty cool. You just like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I, I think Carius needs to. It should be like, okay, it's all business all the time. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's a kind it of video just... you could have definitely gotten away with if you had won a penalty shootout in the Champions League final for your club rather than throwing a couple of goals into the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, and, then, and there was a video of him then in some warm-up, I think it was a, a Liverpool playing a friendly game and, and the ball came and he let it straight through him. It was like, it's like a comedy moment. But, you know, I mean, I think... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, again... Again, I'm I'm back into that sort of old geezer. You know, maybe there's a lot of people who look at that and think, "Yeah, this is this is good. This shows that Carius has got his game face back on." Personally, I think you know, buzz cut, maybe tattoo something on your face. Uh, I'm, you know? I'm sorry on his face. 
sinner or something like that, you know, <laughs> just, but just, just total for, for ferocious focus on stopping the ball going into the goal is what Carrius should be demonstrating rather than, I don't know. Uh, but of course, Muslera did a Carrius, um, which was, which was bitterly ironic for Uruguay, the country that makes a, the biggest cult of defending out of basically anybody in the world to let in a farcical goal like that to kill them off and there was like half an hour to go and then there was like this Mbappe dive was it a dive did he get punched in the guts you know probably got a little bit punched did he need to go down probably not it doesn't matter though because Mbappe can't take the you know the way that the way that when a goalkeeper lets a ball bounce off his hands into the net is a carious and when somebody does what Mbappe did that's a Neymar so Hmm. Mbappe can't actually take that title from Neymar, certainly in this international cycle. So it's a risk-free situation, I guess, for him to, to dive if it is. You know, if he feels, oh, I think I've got a little bit of a punch there, I'm going to try and get this guy sent off uh, and goes down. No one's going to complain about it, really. Uh, or no, you know, he can't. Uh, it can't become an Mbappe because the uh, current holder of the title is too far out in front. All right, that's it for today's edition of Ken's Report from Russia. What I thought was a seat was, in fact, a bunk. Top bunk, coffin-shaped. I was like, I do hope they turn the air conditioning on in this train, and I'm sweating quite profusely. There was a sort of an old Russian woman in the bunk underneath mine, kind of grabbing at me, like, to get out of the bed. No, yet, 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 yet. She went to sort of the little service area of the carriage and came back with, like, a little packet of sheets. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh... So good next to the skin, Alan. So good next to the skin, Alan. I said, oh, spasiba, spasiba, babushka. I tried to take the sheets. She's like, no, no, I have none of it. Started putting the sheets on the bed for me. I was like, trying to help. She's like, yeah, yeah. I was just lying on that sort of sticky, musty mattress thing. But it turns out that they give you like a whole pack of sheets that you can spread out. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh. So good next to the skin, Alan. Slept almost all the way to Moscow. So good next to the skin, Alan. What a nice way to pass six hours in the train that was. Rory Smith was in Sochi to watch Croatia survive uh, another slugfest, this time with Russia, for the New York Times. And Jonathan Liu was reporting for The Independent from Samara. Great to have you both on, guys. Jonathan, uh, everybody's getting pretty giddy now, except the players, it looked like to me. It seemed like quite a muted, sort of quiet, satisfied reaction at the final whistle, rather than any grand outpouring of joy. Yeah, and I think that was partly uh, a function of how the game went, which which was fairly comfortable in the end. Uh, but also what, what you got from the players, certainly afterwards and, and in, in the time since, that there's really no talk whatsoever of, you know, the final or winning it or, or you know, what will happen if they win it. It's, there's this, this really sort of quite commendable focus on, you know, it's really just the next game. And even though we're not going to pretend it's any other game, that's how we're going to try and treat it. And, and I, yeah, I think that, that that's sort of been the mood. It's, it's just kind of like... Yeah, this is fine. We're in the World Cup semi-final. What's next? There are unlikely heroes emerging everywhere at this stage. Pickford, Trippier has been incredible. Harry Maguire's head, as you pointed out, Jonathan, I stole a couple of your lines for my opening to this podcast. What's your favourite story? Um, 
Well, I, th- I mean, it's hard to look beyond Pickford, really. I mean, if you if you go on on Twitter and people have been retweeting stuff that he's been he's been typing, like from actually not that long ago, like five or six years ago, just complaining about not having Sky in his bedroom, and, and you know, basically what what a teenage kid would be would be would be putting on social media, and and the fact that you know he's even like a month ago, I don't think anybody really thought he was world class they thought you know he was the decent keeper with potential and good feet but the way that the way that he's grown over the last few weeks has taken a lot of people by surprise and and there's stories like that all, all, all over the place really i think it was a good piece by sam wallace in the telegraph actually about how so many of these players have come from from quite humble backgrounds they haven't been raised in a premier league academy since the age of seven uh a lot, a lot of them, anyway. They, they've they've come from from non-league, like like Jamie Vardy, or they come from somewhere like MK Dons, uh, like like Deli Ali did, or um, you know Harry Maguire going from Sheffield United to, to Hull. They, they've they've got like actual career arcs, and that's I think I mean that's given them a sort of a humility and a perspective that doesn't necessarily get bred in, in, a, in a kind of an elite Premier League academy. That, that's, that's probably the, the overarching theme of this squad. Rory, is there a slight problem there? Just a, a challenge is probably the better way to describe it for Gareth Southgate going into this Croatia game, in that presumably Croatia are going to know almost everything that England have to offer, certainly that they've had to offer up to this point. They pick the same team every time. They do. They try to do roughly the same kind of stuff every time. They're very reliant on, on Sterling in particular to offer something uh, a little bit different in open play. But but there's, they're kind of an open book at this stage. Or is there more? To, are there a couple more strings to the bow that, that we might actually see against Croatia? It depends, doesn't it, a little bit? Because if so the, the, the interesting thing about this game is that I think it's wrong to say it's the first challenge England will have faced, because I think Colombia particularly were a challenge. Yeah. Um, but Croatia are the first team that England will play who will come and play them. Colombia could have come and played. Come, hang on, I'm needing to get my tenses right here. Mm. Colombia could have come to play them, but chose not to until about the 75th minute. They decided for some reason, I don't really know why, that they wanted to turn it into a, a really sort of intense physical battle. They, they felt they could get the better of England that way, and when it became clear that wasn't going to work... They thought, all right, let's try and play football and see what happens. And lo and behold, they created two chances and scored from a corner. Um, Croatia won't be like that. Croatia will want them to be, will want it to be a proper match where both teams try and go forward. And I think the Croats, speaking to the players after their game, they're quite excited by the, po- the prospects of playing a team who'll come and play them as well. So the big test is really what happens, how good are England in an open game? We've seen that they're good against, you know, dispatching Tunisia in Panama, and that's not to belittle those results, because that's what you've got to do at the World Cup. Uh, we've seen that they could stand up physically to the Colombians. We saw, we saw that they, they could outplay a, a limited, but, you know, not, not useless Sweden team. The question now is, right, how do they cope when they go up against a team that haven't been amazing, except in that Argentina game, um, but who do have, throughout the, the kind of the, the two attacking thirds of the pitch, do have enormous quality. Obviously, Modric and, Rik- and Rakitic are two of the best midfielders in the world, although Rakitic is playing very badly at the moment. Um, Mandzukic is, is not quick and he's not prolific, but he is a top-class striker with, you know, who's won trophies all over Europe. Uh, Perisic is a, is a useful winner. Ante Rebic is, is fast and strong and a bit like a bull. 
um, there is a threat to Croatia, and they, Croatia will want to highlight their own threat rather than setting setting up to negate England. They're going to be exhausted, and, though, surely, Rory. I mean, Mario Mandzukic could barely move towards the end of the game. The keeper, Subasic, was crocked, and I think everybody worried for him going into the penalty shootout. They've had two 120-minute games. Like this is, they're, they're, it's surely not going to be Croatia at their strongest. Yeah, logically, no. I think that's absolutely right, and that should give England an advantage. But on the other hand, I did I did five live yesterday, and I, I made that same point to Chris Wobble, and he said, "No, in a in a World Cup semi final, you're not tired. You've got three days in between. It's a World Cup semi final. You won't be tired." He's played in one. I haven't, so I'm inclined to bow to his wisdom. <laughs> I think logically, Croatia should be a bit more tired than England, but then England played. You know, they they had one set of extra time and penalties as well, so the advantage isn't that enormous. But it, it might be a a small factor, yeah. Yeah, and I, John, I didn't want to imply that England haven't faced challenges up to now. I mean, they've done very well. They've done brilliantly to get to where they are. And you would assume Southgate does have a, a trick or two up his sleeve. And there's good football in the team. I was watching again the move for the Raheem Sterling chance in the first half where Pickford pings the ball out to Trippier. He, he chest passes it first time to Lingard. One touch to Henderson. Henderson chips it over first time to Sterling. Sterling actually did reasonably well for that one. It was a bit unlucky that the keeper saved it and then maybe made a bad decision not to roll it back to Harry Kane afterwards. But it feels like, in fact, Sterling is kind of emblematic of this, that, that, there, that there are times where you feel that they are quite close to scoring some sort of amazing goal on open play. Hasn't quite happened f- uh, for them largely and it hasn't quite happened for Sterling, but it doesn't feel like he's far away. No, I, I remember that that little passage of play quite well actually I remember saying to, to Jack Pitbull beside me that would have been the goal of the tournament yeah. um, and it was and that that's the sort of football England are occasionally capable of playing but haven't really been allowed to at any point in the tournament since I, I think like the first 20-25 minutes against Tunisia when they for some you know unfathomable reason decided to try and play a very high line and and, and really squeeze England and, and just got just got done so many times by the pace of Sterling and, and Lingard, and and only in the second half really did, did, did they did they tighten it up. I don't think Croatia will, will play quite as openly as that. I mean, obviously they'll they'll play, but I mean we saw in the certainly an extra time against Russia, like they they really can sit deep and and probably too deep. I think I think they, they were definitely too deep, like right, right at the end against Russia when they conceded that second equaliser. Um, so there won't be huge amount, there won't be huge amounts of space for England to play, but they will, um, they, they will have, you know, I guess enough space to, to sort of create around, around the, the edge of the penalty area. There'll be a lot of space for Ashley Young and, and, and Kieran Trippier. They'll be able to swing crosses in. And I think the, the, when it comes to, I guess, new tricks, um, They've, England have turned up at pretty much every game with a different corner routine, yeah. um, whether it's John Stones at the edge of the area or or four of them scattering. Or uh, there was this um, the, the routine against against Sweden where Raheem Sterling's basically in the thick of it as a sort of like a decoy pawn that, that you have in a, in a, in a chess move, uh, and and then Harry Maguire, you're basically using him to screen Harry Maguire. There's there's something new in every game, and I, and I think when Gareth Southgate goes back to his NFL-style playbook. He'll pull out something. He'll have seen something different um, in the Croatian defence that that will hopefully inspire him to to come up with something else. That that's I think where where England are still innovating and, and where Croatia might might have a, have a few problems to deal with. Rory, we keep talking about the England uh, progress being a surprise, being unlikely. 
But given the backdrop to this Croatia campaign with Luka Modric facing perjury charges at home, apparently some fans not supporting the team because of issues around that. There are all the stories that even within the camp there are some sort of divisions there. Like It's a really messy situation and yet it doesn't seem to bother them. I suppose Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo was sentenced to a couple of years, suspended sentence in jail and goes out that night and scores a hat-trick in a World Cup match. So maybe these sort of things don't affect footballers too much. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder whether... Whether it's Ronaldo, I mean, Ronaldo getting a suspended sentence. If I got a suspended sentence, I'd be absolutely devastated. I wonder with Ronaldo whether he was so he was so confident that he, you know, I, I, you don't want to you don't want to assume that they don't function like the rest of us. But whether he was so confident that ultimately that the the amount of money he could throw at his legal team would would pr- sort of protect him, I don't know. Yeah. The Croatians have all said that it's not really affecting them. Uh, I I I can't believe that that's true to be honest i can't believe that that luka modric and dejan lovren who i think is implicated in some way as well in the mamic case i can't believe that it's not on their minds a bit but i do think that when they're on the pitch they probably aren't thinking about that that they that may it may be that the, the the field is kind of providing them with a little bit of sanctuary that at least they're they can concentrate on on things they understand they know they're good at it's a bit it's interesting that croatia getting to the world cup semi-finals is an incredible story because it's Croatia, there's 11 million people there. The, the fact they've been to two in 20 years is astonishing for such a young nation. Um, so to an extent, it maybe doesn't feel like quite the shock it should be. But also because this World Cup has had so many shocks, it's become quite hard to know what a shock looks like or to put a shock into perspective. Croatia, I think, if you'd gone into the tournament and said, right, the, the teams in the semi-finals will be France, Belgium, England and Croatia, on a global level, you'd say, that, right, well, the big surprise there is Croatia, because it's Croatia. Um, but that's been lost a little bit because we, we've got so used, so almost so bored of seeing surprise teams do well. And we're sort of like, well, if it's not, it's not Liechtenstein getting to the semi-finals, we're not really interested anymore. Everyone else, is, it's all fair game. But they, they've had an, a remarkable tournament. And as I say, the only question is, was that performance against Argentina because Croatia, is that their ceiling of how good they can be? Or is that because Argentina are useless and make everybody look good? Yeah, it's a fair question. I suppose we'll find out in a few days. The atmosphere looked fairly intense there, Rory, towards the end, particularly towards the end of extra time and into penalties. Um, how did the Russians take their elimination in the end? Well, I think Churches off the coach seemed really grumpy initially. I thought he might have been annoyed. There was this weird moment where they forgot to get a ball for the penalties. I don't know whether that came through on yeah, TV. Yeah, it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's Fyodor Smolov who took the first penalty. And that, that cannot have been easy for him, having to wait around for like a minute while the referee tried to, find, tried to work out where the balls were. Um, and I wonder whether Churchill was annoyed about that. But he, he seemed to have calmed down by the time he got into the press conference. And then he got a round of applause from the media in the mix zone. And so did the team. Um, I think they, they will look back on it as a successful tournament for them. They've massively exceeded expectations. Uh, Samadoff, the midfielder, said on the day before the first game, said he, all they wanted was to make the country proud. They've done that. They've they've done that and more. They've kind of illuminated the tournament. They've they've been the perfect host in the sense that they have contributed to the party. Um, I think that the semi-finals would have been a step too far, uh, and I'm I'm sure in the in the moment of elimination it was devastating for them. But I think when they when they come to look back on it they will be extremely proud of what they've done. I was, the only thing I was slightly surprised at was that the stadium didn't kind of give them a round of applause. Nice. I thought the stadium would kind of stand as one and, and sort of support its heroes, but they didn't. Everyone, everyone just kind of left. <laughs> okay, maybe they were tired as well, uh, as well as all the players. Jonathan, is there any sense from within the England camp about which of the teams they would have preferred? Are they happy enough with a fairly knackered-looking Croatia or would they have taken their chances against Russia? Um, well, I mean, it's... 
I think they, I don't think they, they really would have, would have cared too much. I, I, it's possible that, uh, it's possible that they, they might have preferred Russia, you know, just based on on, on the quality that they have. But I, I mean, the sense that that you've got from from England over the, over the last week is that they really want, they actually really want a big test. Uh, Southgate was really keen to build up Sweden after straight after the Columbia game. He was saying our, our record against them isn't great. We've underestimated them in the past. They're a really good side. And, and then afterwards, he talked about all their success at uh, the 19 under 21 level. So whoever it is, England won't underestimate them. But you, you, you really get the feeling that they want a team who, A, will, will come and play at them, but B, that, that, will, that will really sort of lift them. And this, this is why I don't necessarily fear them if they, if they get to a final against France or Belgium. Uh, you know, it might, it might actually be the best fit for them in, in terms of, you know, these are all players that have, you know, most of the squad have played in the, in the Champions League. They, they know what big Champions League games are like. They know what cup finals and cup semi-finals are like. They're not, they're not scared of playing big games. They, they actually, in many cases, is what brings the best out of them, which is why I think the Croatia game may well be England's best performance of the tournament so far. I'm not saying they're going to win, but in, in, in the same way that, that, you know, the West Germany semi-final in 1990 was, was England's best performance of the tournament. They're actually, actually like spectacular and the same in Euro 1986. I think we're going to see a different England and probably quite a, a rousing, thrilling England. Whether, whether it's enough to get through, you know, is, is, is kind of, you know, that's down to the bounce of a ball, really. But I, I really do think they're up for this. There's a really interesting, yeah. a really interesting dynamic with England, I think, which is that, so this is if this has been a tournament of the underdog, England is. It, I'm still not quite sure which side England are on. Are they are they the underdog overachieving, or are they the the big dog who's stu- who, who who might stumble? And traditionally, you'd say England, you know, are one of the big eight nations in in world football. They're World Cup winner, home of the richest, most popular league in the world. They've got all these resources. They are they're a big name. They are they are the the Goliath rather than the David, but. Because of the background of so many of the players, there is a real David feel to them. That it does feel like this is, in a, in, a, in a similar way to Croatia, almost. You know, this is a team that's come through hardship. That's you know that was born in Barnsley and Sheffield and and Sunderland. Like it's not it's not a cosseted Premier League team. And what what will be interesting going forward is a whether the Premier League try and take credit for it because of the elite player performance plan EPPPP um, <laughs> that that I don't think has anything to do with this team being successful, because as Johnny quite rightly points out, they've all come through the lower leagues. Those lower league academies threaten to be destroyed by the by the by EPPP. But the other thing is that the youth teams that have been really successful, that they are incredibly excited about, are all from Premier League academies. Will they have the same kind of hunger, humility, um, creativity that this England team has. And also, will, will the country be able to identify with them as much because they aren't, you know, they aren't, they aren't such obvious, lovable underdogs. They're not kind of a team of cult heroes, which is essentially what this is. So there's a real, there's a bit of a kind of identity, not identity crisis, but there's a real, a really mixed identity with England, I think. Will those young lads be able to successfully defend the World Cup in four years' time? That's a big question. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Rory Smith, Jonathan Liu, excellent as always. Thanks a million. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player, a baby. Coach! Coach! Coach!
is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't have a wobble. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Coach is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't have a wobble. Well, it's just the, the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach pitch. is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't have a wobble. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Coach is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't have a wobble. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call him a player a baby. Let's get back to St. Petersburg, Ken, because we haven't talked about Belgium against Brazil. Who would have thought that the greatest tactical masterclass of World Cup 2018 would be produced by ex-Wigan and Everton boss Roberto Martinez? Are, are you that surprised? Well, I didn't know he was a tactical genius. I thought most people thought he was a bit tactically naive, in fact. Um, why, why did you think he was naive? Well, because he's constantly getting criticised for playing attacking football with teams and looking good at times while ultimately Be- conceding bucket loads of goals. Yeah. Um, well, Belgium have, I suppose, conceded a few. I mean, the worrying thing for Belgium was how was how they did seem to tire a little bit. But they, but on the, against that, they did sort of keep um, composure. I mean, the stuff from Hazard was brilliant at the end, I thought, the just the um, the sort of um, spoiling the, yeah. the the corner dribbling, uh, free kick winning, corner kick winning, corner um, inhabiting, time wasting skills of Eden Hazard mm-hmm. uh, came in very useful. I mean, it was you know Brazil could have equalised. You know, Coutinho. What kind of what kind of a shot was that? You know, we can talk about Neymar, and, and I do think the tournament has been a has been a complete disaster for Neymar, and I think he's he's really set himself back a long way um, over over the last year with his move to Paris, and a, you know, an unfortunate injury, and then this World Cup that was supposed to everything was supposed to lead up to this, and it didn't happen. And then you think back in the game, and he did set up Coutinho for that. Uh, chance which if it had gone in it's a bit of a, it's a bit different i mean that would have been would that have been two all at that point i think it would yeah yeah it was two one um, at that stage there was the shot at the very end which was saved brilliantly brilliantly by courtois um but the, but i think you could also see his i mean you saw him trying to trying to win penalties there was there was that weird moment when he he kicked the ball out of play you know the one i'm talking about he's kind of running in the left side of Belgium's penalty area and he seemed to just knock the ball out of play really clumsily. Yep. Like, what is, that's not Neymar. What's going on here? Um, but you see what he was trying to do there was get... Was He was he was basically gambling. I mean, you even have to sort of admire the way that he wins penalties or tries to win penalties. He's, he's, he's operating at a very high level even when he's cheating. Like, uh, to see... What he's doing is he tries. To, he takes a touch with his right foot, which is the foot closer to the defender, and not really the way that you would expect him to take that ball at that point, because he thinks the defender's going to put his foot across, and that's the best way to catch the trip when it comes across as this defender tries to clear this ball. I'm going to nick the ball away from him slightly earlier than he thinks, but he's going to put his foot out to get me, and that's how I'll get the penalty. But the defender never put the foot out, and Neymar just ends up knocking it out of play like an idiot. Um uh, and then there was there was another one where he you know he went down and then got up and was like no no I don't want VAR everyone else was going for v- asking for VAR and he was like no because he knew it wasn't 
Um, so you could see it was beginning to play on his mind, all the criticism about um, about the previous matches, which, again, you know, I think it's an example of what we were talking about before. It's a problem of his own making. This is not something that should be clouding his thinking as he tries to rescue uh, the country, the team, in a really difficult match against Belgium. And here he is. He's, he's at some level, he's worried about his image and the fact that you know, he's, he's got this reputation now as a diver and he doesn't want to make it worse. You know, not head, unfortunately, not fully in the game. I mean, he did play okay, but it wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, when you look at the Belgium team, they've got some great players. De Bruyne's goal was magnificent. Fernandinho, obviously, they got a little bit lucky. Brazil missed chances, and Brazil are, are finished. And, you know, when Neymar decided to leave a really big club, Barcelona, for a rich club in Paris Saint-Germain, what he did was he created a situation where his entire season boiled down to one match, yeah. uh, one, one tie, rather, against Real Madrid. Uh, and he didn't even get to play in the second leg, did he? Because he, he was injured. Um, so so it's like the entire season sort of came down to one like bottleneck of it has to happen in this match or the, the whole thing is a bust. And the match, and they lost the match. And the World Cup, again, was sort of like that. Just all of this pressure, all, everything is riding on this. And it comes down to one game where it doesn't quite go right. And again, that's a bust. And the whole the whole year, really, of 2018 has been a total nightmare for Neymar. I mean, the problem, you know, if you're if you're playing for a um, for a bigger club such as Barcelona, at least you get to play against Real Madrid a couple of times a year. That's guaranteed. You know, you're going to get to you're going to get. It's not just all about one Champions League game or bust. And uh, I think he's probably regretting the fact that he that he did this to himself. But you know, what could you do? I mean, I felt I felt a bit sorry for Brazil because I feel as though they didn't really. They didn't really do themselves justice in the World Cup, which is the worst. Which is the worst thing for them. But you know, again, why am I talking about them when Belgium played brilliantly? Yeah, we're Belgium going to talk a lot of Belgium tomorrow as well. I, I, I don't mind dwelling on Brazil for a second because we're going to be looking ahead to Belgium against France tomorrow. I'm going to quote you, Ken, your one of your favourite rugby columnists, Stuart yeah. Barnes in the Sunday Times. Oh yeah, who described Neymar's uh, behaviour throughout the competition as repellent. A lot of people got back to him and said, "Ah, oh, come on, that's a bit much. He's just diving a little bit. It's not like he's doping or anything like that." And those people claim there could be no comparison between drug cheating and the odd exceptional pirouetting plonker, as Stuart Barnes puts it. So Barnes goes on, I'm not so sure. That's not to belittle the serious nature of drug cheating within sport. The former is considered one of sport's deadliest sins. The latter is talked off with levity. Football pundits almost laugh with them, not at them. Thank God Brazil lost on Friday night. Their number 10 has the pulling power to undermine the next generation even more than those who operate from the secrecy of the scientific labs. Neymar Jr. is a threat, not just to his opponents, but to sport in general. Um, you agree with any of that? Well, I I don't know. Like, I mean, I no. I mean, I, I don't think the diving is as bad as as um, as drug cheating. Um, I hope not, because a lot of people dive. Yeah, and and, and also it's a bit different. Like, it, it, diving is is sort of you know is is like a um, is usually in response to something your opponent has done as well. You know what I mean? Like, Neymar does it a lot, but he gets fouled a lot. Like, what's he supposed to do? You know, I mean, there's, there's a couple of... I'm not saying this is what he's supposed to do. He obviously has taken it to extremes, and, and, he's, and he's, he's become a meme. It's a disaster. You know, it's like you see all these, all these little um, kids' football teams now releasing videos of them yeah. 
Steering and Neymar, like throwing themselves. Well, there was one down in Tipperary, I think. Was it the FA Ireland Summer? Did you see that? Uh, no, uh, the one I remember is the one that you mentioned last week. I didn't yeah, realize there's there was one in Tip one. as well. Okay, yeah, yeah we must have been. Oh, there's, that. there's loads from all over the world. So, this, so people are doing this like it's it's like a, it's like the the ice bucket challenge, the Neymar. Like this is what this is what's become of this, you know, f- formerly genius footballer and now joke. I mean, he's obviously still still a really outstanding football player, but this is like now what he's most famous for. This is not good. This is real. This is this is really really bad for his for his uh, career. I mean, whether he's got the Potential to undermine the game. I don't, it's, it sounds very, sounds like sort of some very typical pompous rugby nonsense, doesn't it? <laughs> um, just yeah, the usual, the usual nonsense. I mean, I don't know what his name. I suppose just turn around and chin him, or or uh, get his revenge at the breakdown. <laughs> um, employ so it's, it doesn't work that way, you know. I mean. No, just need to no, employ, no. it's okay to employ the dark arts in the front row, Ken. But you know the fancy the fancy Dan backs shouldn't be getting involved. Listen, now where I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, this is a jest. Yeah. Why don't we wrap this up with the clip going around of a few English tourists in Ireland who apparently asked the locals how to say it's coming home in Irish. <laughs> Well, that backfired, Murph. <laughs> well, I think they got what was coming to them, really, didn't they? Yeah. You know, I, I, it's this, all light-hearted oh, banter at the end of the day. I mean, I thought uh, if one thing was pretty much guaranteed to stop me from supporting England at, in the quarterfinals last Saturday was maybe take a walk around Temple Bear at around 3 o'clock last Saturday. Maybe that might have swayed my thinking. As it was, I didn't. So I'm still on It board. was interesting, interesting to talk to David Baddiel, as we did on Te- Captain Saturday and Saturday and just gone on, on RT and him make the point that he didn't he was blissfully unaware that there could potentially be any Irish people hating on the English football team and this is somebody who got a double A in English I believe in Cambridge mm. I don't know what a double A means is that like an A plus or is it two different A's but either way sounds we're, pretty we're good, talking about a pretty sizable yeah. brain there and he wasn't necessarily aware that there, that there would be any problem over here a little bit different to Scotland but do you hear that sometimes? Some yeah. some English people sort of say with a, with a slightly wounded air, but we support you. Yeah. But we support your teams. You know, with Scotland and Wales and Ireland, when they, when they get there, we're, we're not there, we, we support you. And it's like, yeah, can you think of any reasons why that might not be the <laughs> same, why that might not be a reciprocal thing? I mean, literally, if you rack your brains, can you think of any reasons why <laughs> that might... Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, is, is there... Is it that difficult to, to, to spot? I'm not sure. It's World Cup final. I don't, don't think it should be. It's bit World Cup final build-up week on the World Service. We'll see you tomorrow for more of that if you're signed up. If you aren't signed up already, secondcaptains.com is the place to go right now. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you very much, Alan. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. I couldn't believe our witnesses. It's, um, it's quite uh, emotional, actually. Timbuktu. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. Timbuktu.
of England reacted to that equaliser. Perfectly. Um, no panic, calm straight down, continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.